Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we conclude our study in the book of Judges, the tribes of Israel refuse to repent and do things God's way. Instead, they do it their way, causing more death and unimaginable suffering of innocence. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 21, verse 10. Once again, that's Judges chapter 21, verse 10. Look at verse 10. And the congregation sent 12,000 men of the valiantest and commanded them, saying, Go and smite the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with the edge of the sword, with the women and the children. Let's kill more non-combatants. Who thought this was a good idea? Well, sadly, everyone did. Everyone did, because no one objects. How do a group of people, in the middle of regretting one really bad decision, decide to then go do the same thing somewhere else? This is the kind of absurd decision-making that happens when I try to move forward in my relationship with God without repenting of where I'm at right now. And sadly, I see many Christians make the same mistake. We'll sit down and we'll talk about the situation they're in and I'll open the word and I'll begin to explain. I say, well, these are the principles that have been violated here, which is why you're in this situation right now. So our solution is, is we need to repent of this first. Well, no, no, no. We need to go do this. No, no, no. Hold on. <laughs> Let's not make any decisions until we repent of this first. We, this is what needs to happen first before we decide about where we're going to go from here. Because if we don't repent of this first, we're just going to make more bad decisions. So I'd like to spend some time praying Let's go ahead and want you to pray and, and repent of this, confess it to the Lord, and then we'll talk about where to go from here. And I get a lot of resistance at that point. This doesn't fix our problems. Well, yes, but we can't fix the problems until you repent. Otherwise, you'll continue to make bad decisions. The solution in this situation isn't just moving forward because God's a merciful God and he loves us and he forgives our sin. The solution in this situation is breaking with the past. It's saying, I'm done doing things this way. I'm turning around and I'm getting on the right path. Because only then will I make solid decisions moving forward. Now, Israel's plan to solve both foolish promises is, well, we'll kill two birds with one stone. We promised we'd kill everybody who didn't come and we need women. So here's the plan, verse 11. And this is the thing that you shall do. You shall utterly destroy every male and every woman that is lain by man. So in other words, you will spare those who are virgins, virgin women only. Everyone else, kill. 
And so it says the congregation sent 12, verse 10, 12,000 men of the valiantest. It means sons of strength. They're 12,000 most elite fighting soldiers. And again, killing everybody in Jabesh Gilead doesn't fix both problems, so clarifying instructions are given in verse 11. The only exemption would be female virgins because they would end up being the brides to the surviving 600 men of Benjamin. Now, we've already pointed out the hypocrisy of this due to the fact that Jerusalem is right next door and it's full of people that God told Israel to wipe out in his word. God gives no such instruction to Israel regarding their own people. They are clearly outside of God's will here. One of the most common questions I get as a pastor, and I think it was part of our Q&A one night, was how do I know God's will? Israel did have a problem here, but it is nigh impossible to hear from God accurately when you're not obeying his revealed will in his word. And that is the principle of how do I know God's will for my life when the Bible doesn't directly address the issue of my life? Well, First off, before anything else, you want to make sure you're obeying God's revealed will. And there is plenty of that in comparison to all the unknowns out there. Someone will come to me often and say, I just don't know what God's will for my life is. I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about a few basics, all right? And, and a lot of times that individual, they're in a situation where they're not being faithful in church, they're not reading their Bible, and they're not praying, they're not in fellowship, they're not seeking the Lord, they've got all these areas of compromise. And so I say, you're probably not hearing from God because you're not really doing any of the things he's already spoken in his word. So let's start here. Forget about all the unknowns right now. Let's start here and let's start working on that. And as you do that, I think you'll find that God will lead you to where you need to be. And that's what Jesus said. In John chapter seven, verses 14 through 19, Jesus was speaking about how the people would know that he was from God. It's not like you could just touch him and here's what the the Bible says. You can just touch the Messiah and when you do, he glows. They didn't have that. I mean, they had prophecy, they had all sorts of things that they could be doing. But the point is, is they didn't have this easy button to know that God's will in this situation. So Jesus says now in verse 14 of John 7, now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he taught. And the Jews were shocked, saying, how does this man know his letters since he never learned? He didn't study under the rabbis. He hasn't gone through all the rabbinical schools of teaching. How does he know how to teach like this? And so Jesus answered them and said, well, my doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. I didn't make this stuff up. My father, he taught me, and I'm sharing it with you. And then in verse 17, he tells us, he says, if any man will do his will, well, then he will know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He says, listen, if you'll just start doing what God says in his word, well, then you'll be able to measure me against it, and you'll know. You'll know the things I'm saying, whether they're of God or not. For he that speaks of himself seeks his own glory. But he that seeks his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. So did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you keeps the law. And why do you go about to kill me? Basically, what Jesus is saying is, You keep questioning on whether I'm from God and you say, well, how do we know? How do we know? And he's like, search the scriptures. They talk about me. And stop trying to murder an innocent guy. Maybe then you'll be able to hear from God. This is the problem that I have found in my own life. When I'm in sin or I'm in disobedience or I'm compromising or I'm not putting the Lord first, it makes it very difficult for my spiritual ears to hear. If I'm not in the word, it makes it very difficult for my spiritual ears to hear. 
doing what the word clearly says will help me to hear more clearly from God on subjects the Bible doesn't directly reference. But Israel's not doing that. So they go off to murder an entire city again. Verse 12. And they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead 400 young virgins that had known no man by lying with any male. Girls here, young virgins, would be between the age of 12 and 16. And so they brought them into the camp of Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. And the whole congregation sent some to speak to the children of Benjamin that were in the rock, Ramon, and to call peaceably unto them. And so Benjamin came again. They returned. I'm not sure what they returned to. Their cities were all burned. But the 400 girls were designed to give them a fresh start. So Benjamin came again at that time, and they gave them wives, which they had saved alive of the women of Jabesh-Gilead. And yet, so they sufficed them not. Literally, this, that means this solution didn't work because there were 600 men and only 400 girls to go around. And so the people repented them for Benjamin because of the Lord had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. Now, I can tell you this. If they had come to the Lord and said, God, we need your solution. We're not going to try to figure this out on our own. And then God led them to a solution. I can promise you this. It would have been enough. It would have been enough. One would think they would realize that this wasn't God's solution when it wasn't enough. But instead, they blamed the Lord again. Look at verse 15. They repented. They Again, they regretted what they had done. They repented them for Benjamin. But notice why. Because that who made a breach in the tribes of Israel? The Lord made a breach? What's a breach? A breach is a space in a wall that renders the wall ineffective. In other words, there's a big hole in the wall, so it doesn't matter you have a wall. Now it's ineffective. And it came to mean in the Hebrew culture to create a deficiency. They said, we are regret what's happened because God has created a deficiency in all of our tribes. Our nation is not what it's supposed to be because of God. How did God do this? The situation first existed because the nation didn't obey him. Then they proceeded to solve the problem without repenting. And then when God did give them instructions, they went beyond those instructions in their desire for vengeance. God didn't create any deficiencies in the nation. God didn't cause any of these problems. And yet again, I see the same accusation leveled against God by Christians. I will frequently get people who have left their first spouse, and then they're in a second relationship or a second marriage, and it's not going well. I don't understand. You know, you know, I don't understand why God keeps doing this to me. What do you mean why God keeps doing this to you? I don't understand why he keeps giving me bad spouses. Have you ever considered that the problem might not be them? Something that Lupriolo talks about in his book on marriage, excellent books for husbands. And he talks about this idea that the whole purpose, one of the whole purposes of marriage is obviously to fix the problem of loneliness, but a secondary purpose is the work of sanctification. God has put your spouse into your life to be a mirror to show the things in you that aren't like Christ yet, the things that need to change. So why would you think a different spouse would all of a sudden create a different mirror or a different image in the mirror? You're still you. So God is using them to sanctify you. The problem is, is we don't want marriage to be like that. We want marriage to fulfill me, (laughs) to validate me, to make me feel wonderful. Marriage isn't designed for that, even though it can have that effect when you're doing it the right way. But marriage is supposed to be, ugh, I'm ugly, aren't I? 
I have things in here that aren't right. And your spouse is going to smile at you and go, yes, it's not pretty. But I love you. And I'm in this work with you if you'll receive it. And so what happens is, is if we keep going from relationship to relationship to relationship, you're still you. It's not God's problem. Many problems that we face have nothing to do with anyone's sin. But I've been walking with the Lord long enough to know that if there is anyone who needs to be examined for fault, it's never God. Never God. It's always me. And when I do conclude, well, that could have been done better. It's always in regard to what I could have done better. Never what the Lord could have done better. Well, 200 men are still single, so how is Israel going to solve that problem? Verse 16, here's their final solution. Well, then the elders of the congregation said, well, how shall we do for wives for them that remain, seeing the women are destroyed out of Benjamin? It's interesting, they're still not really claiming responsibility. The phrase destroyed here is in the reflexive voice in the Hebrew, which means, for the women destroyed themselves out of Benjamin. What do you mean destroyed themselves? They're still in denial of their role in this problem. And it is a problem. God gave the land to Benjamin, and that means it can't be redistributed to the other tribes. That would be wrong. But they made an oath, so it would be wrong to violate that. A true pickle, right? Sounds like something to go to the Lord about, doesn't it? I remember I was really down about something a week and a half ago. I was really upset, and I was talking to Bev about it. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And she goes, well, sounds like something to go to the Lord about. I just kind of looked at her and I'm like, well, yeah, but, you know, and then I start complaining more. And she just kept going back there. Well, it sounds like you need to go to the Lord about this. Sounds, like, And, of course, I've done this long enough with her to know, okay, she's not going to let me off the hook here and give in to my selfishness. She's going to challenge me on this. I kept saying, I don't think I can do this. I don't know what to do here. And she finally just said to me, she goes, you can't. Why would you think you could? Well, yeah, that's not very nice. You don't think very highly of me. These are problems by their very nature that are designed probably even by the Lord. So you'll go to him about them. I remember sitting there when it finally got through my thick skull and I said, huh. So you tell me I need to pray about this, huh? And it was so wonderful to go and just get before the Lord and to seek his face and to have him Give beautiful answers, not easy answers, but beautiful answers that lined up with truth, lined up with his grace, lined up with his love, lined up with how he does things. That with confidence, I was able to go forward and say, okay, here's what we're doing. But Israel doesn't do that. They don't go to the Lord. Verse 17, there must be an inheritance for them that be escaped of Benjamin, that a tribe be not destroyed out of Israel. Howbeit we may not give them wives of our daughters, for the children of Israel sworn, saying, Cursed be he that gives a wife to Benjamin. I already covered that. Verse 19, then they said, well, behold, here's an idea. Again, they don't go to the Lord. Here's an idea. There's a feast of the Lord in Shiloh yearly in a place that is on the north side of Bethel, on the east side of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem, and on the south of Lebona. Therefore, they commanded the children of Benjamin, saying, Go and lie in wait. Hang around in an area in secret, in the vineyards. Hang around in the vineyards in secret. And see, and behold, if the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance and dances, 
then why don't you come out of the vineyards and catch you, every man his wife, from the daughters of Shiloh, and then go back to the land of Benjamin? Here's an idea. One of our yearly holy feasts, one of the seven feasts that God gave to Moses to give to Israel, one of those seven high holy times of the year, right nearby, the tabernacle is going to be here for that. The tabernacle was a mobile worship center, but it was at this location for this feast that was coming up. And so he said, here's what we have you to do. You guys go hide in the vineyards there. And when the daughters of Shiloh, the girls who live, this is their hometown and the tabernacle's there, it's a big deal for them. When they come out to dance the dances, go find yourself a wife. (laughs) Now, daughters here would mean women of marriageable age, not likely to be older than 19, but young girls, most likely. Dancing in the dances, it means to whirl in the circle dances. I got an education this week on YouTube of the Jewish dances they do, the circle dances and stuff. I remember seeing them when I was in Israel. They were having a bunch of bar mitzvahs when we were there last time. And up on one of the ledges on the Temple Mount area, there's this huge banquet area and stuff. And you could see they're up there doing the circle dances and stuff. But I wanted to figure out a little bit more about what was going on here because my thoughts, where's all the guys? How come nobody defends these ladies? But what I learned is, is you'll never find them doing this in mixed dancing. Mixed dancing was frowned upon in Jewish culture and dictated separate circles for men and women. They didn't do it anywhere near each other. They would go into their own areas and they would celebrate with each other. So This time, these circle dances, they were considered an expression of worship. They were considered a promoter of unity, and they still do that today. They do it to Jewish techno music today, which is a little different, but that's a whole different story. I've told you, I got an education. This would be considered a holy moment of worship and celebration for these young women. All old differences and bickerings would be left behind as they joined arms in the circle and they danced together before the Lord. The leaders of the nation are about to turn this holy moment into every woman's worst nightmare. For it says, Catch them, every man, his wife. The word there means literally to carry off by force, implying lack of consent. Kidnap them and force them to be your wife. Isn't that lovely? Wait, it gets better. Verse 22. And it shall be when their fathers or their brethren come unto us, the highest court, the leaders of the nation, those responsible for bringing justice in the hardest cases in the land. When they come and bring their complaint to us, the word their complaint actually means legal charges. When they bring legal charges, and in that culture, under Jewish law, kidnapping is a capital crime. It's a capital crime. You're punishable by death. That is what's supposed to happen. When they come to us and bring charges, asking for the death penalty for the kidnapping of their daughters, that we will say unto them, Be favorable unto them for our sakes. It's in the imperative in the Hebrew, which means you need to be favorable. You must be favorable. That's the right thing to do here. The word there, favorable, means to perform an act of kindness or compassion. And do it because we messed up, for our sakes. Because we messed up by not sparing some Benjamite baby makers. Do it for us. Do it for them. Do it for your country. Because we did not reserve to each man his wife in the war. And here's the good news. 
For you did not give unto them at this time that you should be guilty. Now you can still keep your oath because they were kidnapped. You're not guilty of giving your daughters to them in marriage. Everybody wins. Awesome plan, right? And despite its awfulness, it works. Verse 23. And the children of Benjamin did so, and they took them wives according to their number of them that danced, whom they caught. They called off against their will. And they went and returned unto their inheritance, and they rebuilt the cities, and they dwelt in them. And the children of Israel, they departed from there at that time. Problem solved, guys. We did it. Figured it out. The two houses got together, and they agreed on a bill. It all worked. The children of Israel departed thence at that time, every man to his tribe and to his family. And they went out from thence, every man to his inheritance. Let's go home, life, back to normal. Guys, these are the things that people read in the Bible and they think, how could a perfect God be okay with this? And that's why there's one more verse in chapter 21. He's not okay with this kind of stuff. He never was. And he tells us so at the end. In those days, why did this happen? Because in those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. This is the point of the book of Judges. All this crazy stuff we're reading about is what happens when God isn't running things, when we reject his word as our standard and we seek to govern ourselves. We are currently living in times that are eerily similar to the book of Judges. And I'm not even talking about the world. So many in the church are revealing who their king is and what their standard is now that we're faced with real problems. And what has been an amazing opportunity for repentance has become a greater struggle to retain our idolatry. To make our God returning to life as normal rather than life with God as our king and his word as our standard. People say, the Bible's not very relevant. Guys, the Bible is so very relevant. More than ever, in my lifetime at least, more than ever, we're living in a time where we must make the same decisions that Jesus, the prophets, and Christians made in the Bible. Where we don't have to ask what would they do, but we can actually find instances similar to our own where we can ask, what did they do? Now, If we finish our study of Judges and verse 25 is still our testimony, then we have wasted our time in this book. And I don't want that for me. I want this story and others in this book, I want it to shake me up. I want it to jolt me. For God to show me the idols in my life so that instead of just shaking my head at Israel and going, really? I fall to my own knees in humility. And that's what James is talking about in James chapter 5. And I want to leave you with this as we close out the book of Judges. In James chapter 5, he spends the first six verses talking about how the world has treated Christians. He says, go to now, you rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. No one's weeping and howling who has persecuted the people that James is writing to. At the very beginning, he says, I'm writing to the tribes. Twelve tribes are scattered abroad. You who have had to leave your homes, leave your livelihoods, leave everything because of persecution. And he says to those who brought the persecution, you think you got it good. He goes, time for you to weep and howl because misery's coming. Your riches, they're corrupted. Your garments, they're moth-eaten. Your gold and silver, it's cankered. And the rest of them shall be a witness against you. They're not going to be able to go with you where you're going. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. 
And then he explains what they had done, how they had cheated their employees, and those people had cried out to God, how they'd condemned and killed the just, and he didn't even resist you. We may not have experienced verses one through six level of persecution like these believers had, but God's word to us in verses seven through 12 is the same as it was to them. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Endure. Establish your hearts because the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grudge each other, brothers. We don't have time for that. Lest you be condemned. And take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of endurance. Do what they did. And above all those things, be a person of integrity. Don't swear an oath. Let your yes be yes, your no be no lest you fall into judgment. Let's be those who endure, guys. Let's be those who follow the examples of believers in the Bible who suffered. And let's be people of integrity. Let's be those who hold Jesus as our king and God's word as our standard. Let's all pray. Lord, we thank you for this book, which you've designed to give us that fresh jolt to say, what are you doing? Am I your king? Is my word your standard? And Lord, I don't want my testimony to be that I did what was right in my own eyes. So as we submit to that, Lord, will you allow us to be an influence? Will you fill us with your spirit? Will you give us that supernatural help? We don't want to go back to life as normal, Lord. We want to be more in love with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours. Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Thy strong on me will save.